This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. And welcome to another episode of World to Win. I'm very excited to have uh, Toya, Toya with me today. How are you doing, Toya? I'm good, Yara. Glad to be back. We have taken a, a few weeks off, but I think this is a, a great episode to bring us back uh, into the fall. For sure. And, you know, I think summer is always uh, such a busy time for us. And I think uh, an international socialist alternative, we've had so many things going on in the last month or so. So it's really cool to be back here be you know back in schedule and uh especially with kind of like starting with a bang with this episode which is kind of like a very current episode where uh, as uh, people probably know uh the 28th of September is international day for safe abortion uh so this episode is going to be all around reproductive rights and abortion rights uh and we have really exciting uh speakers today but generally, I think this year, more than any year before, maybe, is kind of like one of the ones that uh, we have to be talking about abortion. And I mean, Toya, I'm sure uh, you uh, you have a lot of thoughts about that in particular. I mean, yeah, we, you know, years back when we would talk about, um, you know, the movements around abortion and and the excitement around the fight back, we would talk about places like Poland, like Ireland. We would talk about Latin America a lot. Um, you know, in Argentina, there was a big movement there. Um, Chile, Mexico more recently. Um, but now we're talking about it here in the U.S., um, you know, with the ramping up of attacks, it feels like every week there's new legislation being put forward, um, you know, to limit people's access to reproductive health care, most notably with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, of course. Um, and although in Socialist Alternative, we've been talking about this for a very long time and calling on the Democrats for a very long time to mobilize, uh, millions of people were shocked and horrified and very scared, um, you know, that, that this right was, was being taken away. And I, I mean, think- Understandably, it was won 50 years ago and it was won, you know, through a struggle. People do not think that these rights can be taken back, but that's why it's so important uh, that when we talk about it and mention, you know, like the capitalist class doesn't want to give us this rights. We have to fight for them. But also when they can, they will take them back. Right. And I mean, it's not just the U.S. There's, you know, uh, 16 countries across the world where it's 100 percent, um, you know, uh, prohibited. And 40 percent of women of reproductive age uh, live in places where it's, you know, illegal or limited. So, you know, overwhelming majority of people have some sort of limits and access. I mean, Sub-Saharan Africa is a really good example of how stark it can be. 92% of the, the uh, people in that region of reproductive age um, live in countries with restrictive abortion laws. It's crazy. Yeah. I wanted to say exactly about that, that like the countries where it's completely prohibited or has a lot of kind of boundaries uh, or kind of restrictions and barriers for women to get uh, abortions and, and people have, uh, who can get pregnant to get abortions uh, all the countries, uh, most of the time, they will be even more difficult to get out of and get to a country that can offer this service. And then even the countries where we do have abortion rights, in a lot of places, it's too expensive for people to actually go and get it done. Uh, not like, you know, uh, not to mention in countries where you need health insurance that's all going to be even more expensive, but even in countries that you don't necessarily need, you know, 
uh, as robust to health insurance, it's still going to be, in most cases, a really expensive procedure to have. So when we talk about abortion, we don't just talk about, you know, the right to have abortion, but also the option to have it genuinely, like on demand, for free, uh, for anyone who wants or needs it. Right. I mean, especially, yeah, it's not just about wanting it. It's about needing it. It's about access. It's about choice. It's about economics. It just encompasses so many different um, um, things, you know, uh, having access to reproductive health care. But we have seen inspiring victories, Yara. It's not all like doom and gloom over the past period. I mean, you know, last year alone, we saw Mexico um, in certain states in Mexico um, giving more access. Argentina, Colombia, they've won important advances um you know and when the right wing does go on the offensive uh you know what that means is a fight back a response from working people to uh protect the access so it's not all doom and gloom yeah and we've seen the same in the u.s you know there's been so many people out on the streets protesting it and obviously it's something that we've heard all about constantly in the news since it's happened before before it happened even like but when when it was just talks about it happening and then you know uh, there's been places like Guatemala where uh, kind of attempts to change the legislation actually were blocked by uh, the mass movement that developed. So it's obviously a kind of like a, a place of contention, like between the right and working people trying to kind of fight for the rights. And it's really important that we have this episode and that we talk about it and obviously get involved on the streets as well. Um, uh, to fight for our rights and to fight for abortion and reproductive rights. Um, so I'm really happy to have this episode now. I think it's really timely uh, with everything that's happening, obviously with the International uh, uh, Day for uh, Safe Abortion. And we have really cool uh, people here, uh, really cool guests here. So first of all, we've got Anne, uh, who is uh, uh, an executive committee member of the uh, International Socialist Alternative in Germany. So how are you doing, Anne? Great, how are you doing, Yara? Nice to see you again, just uh, have seen you in Berlin before. Yeah, I was going to ask you what, what you've been up to in the last couple of weeks, but uh, I already know what you've been up to. I already know. <laughs> yes. Maybe you should tell everyone, though. Um, yeah, uh, we had the demonstration against um, the so-called pro-lifers there, who are... Um, the uh, yeah, who are a group of um, very different um, yeah organizations, uh, right wing organizations. I will talk about this a, bit, a little bit later, and uh, it was the first time that we really had a Rosa International Rosa intervention there um, to really um, you know uh, shout against them and demonstrate against them and also demonstrate for abortion rights in uh, Germany because uh, also there it's not uh, legal yet. You know. Thank you so much, Anne. And also we've got uh, Shama from uh, the Socialist Alternative in the US, and she's also a council member in Seattle. Um, and I'm sure everyone knows her. How are you doing, Shama? I'm doing good. How are you all doing? I'm great. So what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Well, in Seattle, you know, we have uh, played a solidarity role for the public school educators who were recently on strike. And today, uh, some of the community organizers from our council office are actually on the picket line with the railroad workers, you know, the freight industry workers who are being uh, barbarically exploited, almost uh, in, in almost Dickensian, the kind of con working conditions that they're facing. And so they're courageously uh, doing uh, a national coordinated day of pickets today. Uh, and so it's really important that anybody who's watching this from the United States, please go to our council office website 
our socialist alternative website to see our solidarity statement and as to why the rail worker struggle is so important for all working people. Thank you so much, Shaman. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll link it uh, down below as well and go and share that uh, far and wide. And then our last speaker today is going to be Ruth from the Socialist Party in Ireland, which is the International Socialist Alternative in Ireland, who is also a former member of Parliament in Ireland. How are you doing, Ruth? I'm fine, thanks. How, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Well, the, the huge issue in Ireland right now as around the world is the cost of living crisis. And I've been organizing with local residents here in West Dublin, uh, building up a network to challenge the government to deliver uh, policies that will benefit working class people in terms of dealing with the crisis, you know, energy bills and uh, food freezing prices, not people basically. And we had a protest on Saturday locally, and there's a national demonstration this Saturday as well. So it's starting to become an issue as winter uh, looms and as heating bills loom for people. They've been rising relentlessly. Thanks, Ruth. It seems like uh, the energy crisis is going to be something that a lot of people across the world are going to be having to deal with uh, this winter. But I want to get right into it, and I want to start with Shama. Um, you know, to try to begin to understand what's at the root of the current situation. I mean, you know, we mentioned earlier in the U.S., uh, we saw Roe v. Wade get taken away, um, which meant that it was up to each individual state whether or not they would want to allow abortion. I mean, this was one of the main talking points from the Republicans, you know, it should be up to the states. But now we see uh, Republican Senator... Is he a senator or is he a rep? I can't remember, but he's a Republican in Congress. Um, Lindsey Graham put forward legislation to make a 15-week ban federally. And so uh, we're seeing, even after this huge setback of a 50-year precedent, more attacks are still coming down the line. So I was wondering, Shama, if you can talk a little bit about why we're seeing these attacks in the U.S., but not just the U.S., um, across the world today. That's a really important uh, thing for us to understand. I mean, if we are to fight back and defeat these attacks, then it is important for us to have a serious analysis about why these attacks are happening in the first place. And you mentioned the repeal of Roe v. Wade, which is, a, which is a historic defeat for women, working people, and the LGBTQ community in, you know, in the United States nationally, but it's also a, a, of a large scale that is relevant internationally. And you mentioned Senator Lindsey Graham, who's a right-wing Republican, his uh, proposal to further bring attacks against abortion rights. And it's possible that this sort of attack will uh, be uh, maybe an overreach and will backfire on the right-wing Republicans. That remains to be seen. Nonetheless, uh, we do have to make an effort to understand why these attacks are happening and also broadly why there has been a significant growth in right-wing ideas on the whole. And I, I should say, you know, it would be tempting to think that society and working people are turning irredeemably rightward. Uh, and certainly the echo for such right-wing ideas as, you know, the kinds that you've just mentioned are uh, is growing. But the reality is quite different in the sense that, for example, in the United States, a national poll from January this year showed that 72% of Americans opposed overturning Roe v. Wade, as you mentioned, the 1973 Supreme Court ruling that guaranteed 
federally guaranteed the legal right to abortion, and only 28% in that poll said they wanted it overturned. And in contrast, actually, the support for the Supreme Court, which is now overwhelmingly a right-wing Supreme Court, has fallen dramatically in the last two years by 15 percentage points. So the real explanation for why, for example, in the United States, Roe v. Wade was overturned and why attacks on abortion rights have happened in other countries is that the opening for the far right has expanded over the last decade because of the systematic failures of and betrayals by liberal parties and organizations of the political establishment, such as the Democratic Party in the United States. In the United States, the writing had been on the wall for many months, you know, over the last year, especially after the language was leaked of the Dobbs ruling. The Dobbs ruling is what overturned Roe v. Wade, and it was clear that it would likely be a catastrophe for abortion access. The refusal by the Supreme Court to oppose the Texas abortion ban that happened actually last September, you know, September last year, was already a huge blow to reproductive rights. And it was another event that portended a historic attack later that happened this year on the, on the Supreme Court. But what happened? The Democratic Party, the major women's rights organizations such as NOW, NARAL, Pro-Choice, and Planned Parenthood, who are all tied to the Democratic Party, they should have been organizing mass actions over the last year, mobilizing support for the, the, the support that exists for abortion rights into active movements on the streets and in the workplaces, through school and university walkouts. But they did none of that. They did nothing to fight the Texas ruling last year. And they have categorically refused to put up any kind of fight despite the majorities that they may, they may have had in the in the past on in the house in the senate and you know they also have the president the white house is a democrat uh, is from the democratic party the complicity of the democratic party in this crisis is perhaps most stunningly illustrated by the fact that just days before this attack nancy pelosi who is a prominent democrat and is the speaker of the house sent sent out robocalls to voters in Texas asking them to vote for Representative Henry Queller. He is a right-wing Democrat who opposes abortion and has had the support of the NRA, which is a you know the gun-toting organization that is hated by young people and a majority of working people. This, this whole thing is scandalous. And on top of that, the Democrats have had 50 years to guarantee abortion rights. Joe Biden ran for president in 2020, promising to codify Roe v. Wade into law. Barack Obama did the same in 2007, and both times they failed to use their majorities in Congress to get it done. And in the meanwhile, the Republicans and the right wing have spent 50 years organizing and building for this all-out assault on women and queer people. And you know, and what have the Democrats done in those 50 years? Made empty promises that they have refused to keep. And in fact, it's a tragic list of broken promises, not only the failure to protect and codify abortion rights, but also Medicare for all, $15 an hour minimum wage, a Green New Deal, and so much more. And so, you know, the, the important point to note here is that it's not like there hasn't been anger. There's huge anger in American society. And it was clear that people were willing to fight after the the Roe v. Uh, Roe v. Wade ruling was repealed. Uh, but what's happened is that the Democrats and their organizations have essentially sabotaged the development of a mass movement to defend abortion rights, leaving millions of ordinary people who are willing to fight bereft of any principled leadership. I mean, you know, in contrast, socialist alternative organized rallies, marches, walkouts, 
members of our New York City organization courageously occupied the office of Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer. And by the way, instead of meeting with the activists, his office sent the police on them. And I should also mention in closing that uh, the biggest organization, unfortunately, you know, the Democratic Socialists of America, they also failed to provide a lead, uh, as did the majority of the labor leadership. And all of this shows that we need a massive shift away from a, a politics that is tied to the Democratic Party, you know, the, the establishment parties, towards independent organizing and political organizations for the working class. Thanks so much, Shama. It's really important that we, you know, call out who is actually uh, to blame in the, in the 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 fact that you know we had fifty years to really make uh, abortion abortion access law, um, and it was the inaction of the Democratic Party that led us to this situation. Um, but I want to step outside of the U.S. for a minute. Anne had mentioned um, a rally that she had been at. That it seems like Yara, you were there too. Um, this rally that was deemed as a pro-life rally. And I, I hate that term. I, I learned from watching the struggle um, to repeal the Eighth Amendment in Ireland, the term anti-choice. And I love it because that is what it is. It's not pro-life, it's anti-choice. So this, you know, pro-life rally um, demonstration that took place in Berlin last week. And Yara, what, what was going on there? Yeah, um, so it was a big march. It's an annual march that happens in Berlin, I'm sure Anne can explain a bit more about um, because I've only heard of it uh, before going uh, to intervene in the counter demonstration. Um, but yeah, we organized, uh, we intervened into the counter demonstration, which was really incredible. It was uh, uh, it was really good to see so many, you know, young people out in the streets fighting and, you know, uh, kind of uh, going against this March for Life, which like, as you said, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's always so infuriating to hear people say pro-life because there may be like like you said it's definitely like anti-choice because they're not pro-life they don't care if people die like the same these same people like oppose the like uh, state support for baby formula in the U.S. right like the same people are uh, opposed to any immigration policy that will you know stop babies and children from drowning when they're trying to escape war-ridden countries like and, and at the same time they're also you have in, in places like China for example you have uh, full sterilizations of populations that the, the government decides that they don't want. So saying that these people who, who are opposed to abortion are pro-life is a complete joke. It is, it is. It, infuriating is the word. So I do want to go to you, Anne, um, to talk a little bit about this because, you know, oftentimes we talk about uh, the working class coming together and, and, and pushing forward something, but this is more of a, you know, uh, yeah, an anti-choice demonstration. So what, can you explain like what sort of political forces would organize this type of um, rally, but also talk about uh, what type of response we saw from just regular working people? Yeah, thanks very much uh, also for the invitation today. Um, so maybe just to explain the situation briefly in Germany, because uh, I think many people out there don't understand that and think that Germany is such a progressive country and we have everything, but um, technically we don't have the right uh, on abortion. So um, just to explain that it's still prohibited, it's just not prosecuted. But in fact, what it means is that uh, pro-choice medical students do not get, um, for instance, study material in German. 
And as a consequence uh, of this paragraph 218, which is still, I think it's nearly 150 years old, so, but it's still there. And as a consequence of cuts in the health sector and lack of training of new doctors from 2004 until today, the number of clinics and doctors who can do termination of pregnancy has nearly halved. Um, and uh, from more uh, than 2,000 facilities, we are now down to 1,100 for more than uh, 100,000 pregnancies uh, terminated each year. And in some regions, um, it's a bit like in the US, really. It's like people need to travel more than 200 kilometers just to go to the mandatory counseling. Then they have to go home and wait for 72 hours. And later, they need to make another one-day trip uh, to access a clinic, which is even allowed to turn them down. So um, that's the situation. And uh, the rally of the so-called pro-lifers uh, is organized since uh, 20 years already. And every time around the same date, and they uh, want to make uh, abortion rights even more restrictive. And it encompasses a wide range of organizations and institutions who are part of the German conservative and repressive state. And uh, there, for instance, this time there have been three Catholic bishops. They are uh, the growing groups of uh, uh, evangelics. And uh, one of those groups just took over a church in a strong migrant area in uh, the north of Berlin. And this is a group linked to the far right uh, Brazilian president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, a strong opponent of abortion rights and, uh, of course, uh, the right to choose as well. And there's a group which is called uh, Durchblick, uh, known for putting plastic baby embryos in post boxes of uh, pro-abortion doctors and clinics. And they are linked to the um, Christian Democrats of the party of former uh, Councillor Angela Merkel. And they meet uh, with party members from the AfD, the Alternative for Germany, which is also a right-wing party. And, uh, and um, you know, a member of them is Beatrix vom Storch, whose grandfather was already a leading fascist uh, under Hitler. And there's the so-called Volksstimme, uh, the broadcast of the far-right fascist group um, National Party of uh, Germany, the NPD. And they were joined by right-wingers also from all over Europe, um, from Barcelona, for instance, and so on. And typically, um, they made make about between 3,000 and 4,000 people. Unfortunately, this year as well, there were 3,000. <clears> so um, in our counter-protest, there are alliances from very radical to rather moderate feminist groups that organize a protest or even attempt to blockade the right-wingers demonstration. Um, so, however, these protests are uh, traditionally very small. Uh, there's a lack in strategy in really mobilizing openly, demanding strong support of trade unions and take the mobilization on a larger stage. Um, uh, you know, organize buses from all over Germany and other places also all over Europe, because we know it's not just, you know, they feel emboldened by what, what happened with Roe v. Wade. You know, um, like right wingers are coming, you know, wherever they can come together. And so, um, yeah, Rosa uh, uh, um, and the ISA decided to do this this year, you know, and we made a difference in uh, size and mobilization in tactics program internationalism and noise <laughs> and also thanks to you Yara, uh, Yara we, I think we made really really great shouts 
And um, yeah, and however, uh, we need to give an idea of what is necessary to really stop and blockade those right wingers. And we need, uh, I think, uh, next time, you know, really when we need to build up, uh, we need actually a protest of at least 20,000 people or more to really effectively stop them. And I think we just had a start and saw a start of this, uh, how it could look like uh, this year. And therefore, we need to reach a bigger understanding in society why pro-lifers and their capitalist allies are dangerous to all of us and not just uh, for possible childbearers. Yeah, I, I think the demo was really inspiring for me, you know, like coming uh, uh, from somewhere else and seeing just how everywhere around the world that we go right now, this is something that's burning in people's like hearts uh, and they're willing to go out on the streets to say it. So obviously we intervened in this uh, counter demo and we had this really good block. But as you said, I was uh, kind of chanting at the at the front of the demo and I was wondering if you could uh, because we didn't really get a chance to speak after, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what kind of what people were saying, what kind of program we were putting for, what kind of conversations we've had with people on the demo. Yeah, so first of all, um, we made clear that the demo is an international, um, you know, point of mobilization for uh, the far right. So we need to give an international socialist feminist response. And we also connected it to a growing harassment of the LGBTQ community in Germany uh, and the recent attacks on trans people and uh, at the fringe of uh, pride parades all over the country uh, of one of those was also uh, fatal. And um, so trans rights, women's rights, same struggle, same fight. That was one of our slogans that we were chanting because the right wing uh, group that gathered together in Berlin on the 17th of September uh, they create a climate of uh, hate and harassment against all non-traditional gender and family roles and ideas. And um, we also connected it to the reproduction and healthcare crisis. For instance, a Rosa activist who took part in a six weeks hospital strike in Berlin reported at a rally um, we organized in the evening after the demo about the lack in parental planning, health support and wanted pregnancies, the lack of midwives and care workers and the dangers this also has for people who want to become parents, but not to mention to those who decide against, um, who still, after a mandatory counseling uh, and waiting for 72 hours, need to pay between 300 and 600 uh, 300 euros themselves uh, for an abortion. And we also connected it to the energy and cost of living crisis in which many people struggle to pay rent, energy uh, costs and uh, food. Uh, there's a study that estimates that 60% of people who live in Germany will not be able to cover the growing cost uh, by their monthly in income. So uh, to all uh, this, uh, neither the self-proclaimed uh, pro-lifers nor the capitalist system as a whole, which is intrinsically violent and deathly for the working class has an answer. Um, they want us to procreate and at the same time they mobilize for new imperialist wars. And we see this right now in Russia uh, the government has there completely prohibited abortion under all circumstances to suppress the militant anti-war resistance of especially young uh, women and queers and push the order uh, to produce more soldiers and workers as cannon fodder for profits. And we refuse this and we need to fight for socialist feminist mass movement to really fight back right-wing ideas and uh, the capitalist basis on which they grow. And I think this is what we brought forward. And this was attractive to many people. I think we had people who came to the rally. We, have, we had people who discussed with us and who were really like um, 
inspired by the way we were bringing forward ideas, you know, because we were saying, we, if you want to blockade, we really need to mobilize. You know, we don't want to see how small blockades are beaten down by the police in front of these smiling and chanting uh, um, so-called pro-lifers, you know, uh, uh, anti-choicers. And uh, so this time, you know, we really have to discuss um, how we change it, but we really link it to the social questions and, uh, yeah, and uh, capitalist questions we are struggling with right now. Yeah, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's all about, like you said, it's all about the choice, the choice to decide whether and when and how we want to have children or have a family or kind of family we want to have but also to make this choice out of really what we want and not out of necessity whether it's because we can't have an abortion if we want to or because we can't afford to have a child so I think that was a really inspiring thing that um, uh, I think was really clear that in the demo that people like that resonated with people. And actually, if we're talking about kind of free abortion on demand and all of that, um, I, I think of a focal point for the uh, kind of abortion struggle internationally uh, in the last few years has been Ireland, where uh, uh, there's been a, a huge victory for abortion rights uh, that won uh, a free abortion up to 12 weeks um, after a, a battle against uh, an amendment to the constitution that banned abortion completely. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Ruth, because obviously you were incredibly not just involved in this uh, in the struggle, but also one of the leaders of the struggle. So what kind of uh, what, what what kind of role did socialist feminism play in this victory? Well, if you read the international press, you'd believe that uh, the Leo Varadkar, for example, and the other so-called liberals won this, but that's far from the case. This was a relentless movement led by women, young people, working class women in particular, uh, LGBT plus people. Um, and it began around almost 10 years ago, actually now, uh, with the tragic death of Savita, whose poster is here behind me. Um, Savita's anniversary is actually coming up shortly, and I'll, I'll deal with that in a second. But right from the very beginning, the Socialist Party was involved in the debate that took place after Savita's death and what was the way forward. Unfortunately, there was a very con conservative uh, approach taken by the people who uh, came to the leadership of that movement. And they opted to go for a very minimal change, leaving the constitutional ban in place, for example, that would have benefited very few people. And within a couple of years, it became evident to people that the, you had to be suicidal, go in front of a tribunal in order to get an abortion, and it simply wasn't working. And the impetus for the, the movement, particularly around 2014, uh, we were fortuitous in some ways. Uh, we had set up ROSA, which is an anti-capitalist uh, feminist group, because we saw an opening there. We were doing stalls on the streets. We were seeing the change that was, had taken place uh, among working class people on the issue of abortion. And we uh, saw the opening for an active pro-choice uh, anti-capitalist socialist feminist organization. But then also in 2014, a by-election happened. And luckily I won the seat. So we had, you know, a woman in parliament who was willing to make this an issue. Um, 
we actually proposed, which probably a lot of people don't know, the very first repeal bill was moved by the Socialist Party in uh, September 2014. We published it and moved the first stage in the doll. Uh, needless to say, we didn't get the support to pass that bill, but we had put it on the agenda and we made it clear from the moment we got elected that abortion is going to be a central issue that we push uh, for. So within the doll and outside the doll uh, through you know, direct actions and so on, in 2014, a very important event then happened whereby there had been a very famous feminist event here in Ireland called the Contraception Train. I don't know if any, any of you had heard of it. Uh, in 1971, when the first, you know, the, the feminist wave was happening here in Ireland too at that time. And feminists decided to go up to the north of Ireland uh, where contraception was, you know, legal and, and import them and bring them back in full view. We decided to do the same with abortion pills. And we were breaking the law. We linked up with Women on Web and it became a massive publicity uh, around us, which helped to publicize the availability uh, of safe medical abortion for women in Ireland and pregnant people or anyone who's pregnant who couldn't get them. Just think like most people in Ireland, you had to spend, uh, you had to book, into a clinic in the UK, you had to book flights, you had to give up work, you know, it was a hu hugely costly thing uh, for people to do. And the pills, you know, made it a much more uh, easier option. But when it came to the all party committee discussing abortion, which I was a member of, we we brought a, a clear pro-choice voice into that committee. We insisted on putting a pro-choice, not just repeal, but actually the type of law that you bring in is critical. And what was being talked about was a law for rape and fatal fetal abnormality, which would benefit very few people. And we you know, wanted to push the boundaries constantly to make sure that we got a law that dealt with the majority of reasons why uh, people have abortions. And one of the ways, you know, was some of the actions that we took with the uh, abortion pills, because we, we made it so well known that should they bring in a really narrow law, we were going to come back and say, well, if that's what you do, fine. But women are going to continue clandestinely um, and publicly uh, to, to, to do this, to have abortions uh, in their bedrooms and so on. So I think the socialist feminist uh, role that we played was making it a key that working class women in particular were catered for. And the law that was eventually brought in for 12 weeks on request, it's not perfect and I'll deal with some you know, of the, the inadequacies of it later, but the TDs, the members of parliament cited the abortion pills as a game changer because in some ways it gave them a very easy way of you know changing their opinion on abortion the fact that these pills were being so widely used in ireland and also only one in ten gps now are actually providing abortion services in ireland you know so this law through conscientious objection you know the catholic church has been able to but it doesn't well it, it does matter but still because it's by prescription and generally by abortion pills 
the service has been, you know, accessible enough to cater for 6,000 uh, people who would have had to travel otherwise. So I think, uh, you know, that through pushing as well for struggle, you know, we, we said that the, the establishment in Ireland is inherently conservative. Like capitalism after independence 100 years ago had to rely on the Catholic Church for authority and support and for, and for suppressing women and the poor and working class people, as we know, through the mother and baby homes, the Magdalene laundries, and in myriad other ways, censorship, uh, lack of any control over your own body. And that it would take a, you know, a determined relentless movement. And it did for five and a half years after the death of Savita, before they actually granted us a referendum on we always said if we got a referendum, we were confident we could win it. Uh, we had faith in ordinary people. Um, it was the, the establishment who were lagging far behind. So I think there are some of the ways that we, uh, we made it uh, a huge issue. Thanks so much, Ruth. I was going to ask you about that poster in the background, so I'm glad that you uh, that you mentioned it. But you, you hinted at uh, this law not being perfect um, and, you know, yeah, when we're talking about uh, fighting for, you know, reforms under capitalism, most of the time that's what happens um, because it's a, you know, give and take and the capitalists want to keep uh, uh, pushing back. Um, and Shama mentioned this a little bit too in, in regards to the U.S., but specifically in the uh, case of Ireland, uh, why is it important that, you know, even after this historic victory that wasn't perfect, um, that the Socialist Party and Rosa um, remain mobilized and continue to struggle um, to win more? Well, just to say, like, it is incredible that we have free abortion, you know, and, and the fact that you don't even have to pay um, is incredible. And there's a, there's a few reasons for that. Actually, just quickly, one of the reasons is that because of uh, when you're pregnant in Ireland, you're an actual handmaid, so you had to get free medical care. So then when they brought in uh, abortion, if you go to a doctor to discuss abortion, it's it's free. The actual, you know, so they had to provide free abortion. It was quite funny. Um, but as well as that, <laughs> yeah, um, as well as that, like there are 6,000 people who would have had to travel are having abortions in Ireland. So it is, you know, seminal achievement. But it didn't go far enough. It didn't go as far as the Citizens Assembly, uh, which was set up, wanted it to go because the politicians were too scared, too cowardly. So, for example, after 12 weeks, that's where the problem set in because it's without, it's on request uh, up to 12 weeks. So, for example, the amount of women who are accessing an abortion to save their life or for their health is pretty much the same as it's always been. And that tells you that when you criminalize abortion, you know, when you, it's a chilling effect on doctors. So actually what happened to Savita technically could happen again, you know, um, because a doctor has to decide and, and, and be convinced because they have to answer questions. But the other reason is for abnormalities, it's very, very strict. And um, so we still have people traveling for medical reasons, but. It isn't just about abortion and repeal wasn't just about abortion either. It was about the oppression of women in Ireland under this system for the last century. Um, and it was about, 
you know, the mother and baby homes, it was about, which are still a legacy issue now, by the way. Um, it's, it's a huge political issue right now in Ireland because people didn't have rights to their own birth certs. Uh, stories are coming out about babies being sold in the US illegally um, from these mother and baby homes. None of this has been dealt with. As well as that, we have the church still in control of our hospitals, our schools. Um, we have the National Maternity Hospital, which is actually being handed over to a religious order, even though the public is paying for it. So we still have to fight for every single, you know, element of progress, like Shama is, is, is right in what she said. You can have no faith, in, in, like in the US and the Democrats, we've no faith in the Conservative and the establishment parties in Ireland. There's unfinished business from repeal, but also obviously, you know, on all the issues, a socialist feminist perspective is vital because there is a huge interest in feminist ideas. I mean, I'm sure we'll be mentioning the, the fact that Iran is having a movement now. I mean, just says it all. And we want to put, you know, to point out like how capitalism can't cater for and can't deliver equality for women. We've an increase in transphobia and LGBT phobia, just like, you know, worldwide as well. So for all of those reasons, it's important to stay active and to go on and to, you know, bring the edifice down. I'm glad you mentioned, oh, there was an echo, sorry. I'm glad you mentioned um, Iran Ruth because, you know, I've been seeing a lot of uh, solidarity videos from women um, in Iran who are, you know, cutting their hair and taking off their hijab. So, you know, for people who maybe haven't um, seen what's going on there, can you just explain a little bit about the situation and, and uh, yeah, what happened and, you know, people who are uniting together to fight back? Like, I, I think, the, first of all, to salute the bravery of people is absolutely awe-inspiring um, to see young people, to see women out on the streets now. And in, in some ways, it's a bit like our Savita moment in Ireland, like the death of Savita led to such outrage, such anger. It sparked and, and, and kindled uh, a movement for abortion rights. Um, similarly, this young woman was... Uh, you know, refusing to wear a hijab and uh, was essentially murdered by the regime. And it, it's just sparked, you know, an outpouring there. I, I don't know what's happening in each of the cities, but videos that I've seen, I've seen um, women taking off their hijab, put, burning them. Um, but it seems as well to be a movement of all genders. You know, not not just one, which I think is particularly uh, important because, uh, you know, one thing that we would point to is that working class people are the hold the power in society, and we want to build a united movement. You know, multi generational, multi gendered, multi racial, um, to to challenge the system. And so it's going to be very interesting to watch. Rosa has called uh, a protest next. Uh, in the next few days in, in Dublin because we were contacted by, by women from Iran who, who live here. So we're going to be shown solidarity with the struggle there. Yeah, it's so inspiring to see what's happening. And, you know, I think that uh, it's it's really easy to kind of dismiss uh, uh, that kind of, uh, like the, the, the impact that, the, that that kind of thing can have in a country like Iran, but it proves time and time again how women's rights 
uh, kind of pulling people out in the streets and fighting even the most dic dictatorial regimes. So it's so uh, inspiring and interesting to see what's going to happen there. Um, but I want to go back to kind of uh, the main subject uh, that we're talking about. And, you know, Ruth was just talking about kind of the role um, that kind of from the ground uh, of working class women and working class people had on kind of uh, uh, changing the abortion law in Ireland. And obviously, Ruth managed to take kind of the, the position that she had as a member of parliament and use it for the benefit of this struggle. And actually, uh, fast forward to now, we have Shama here who has managed to do something very similar uh, in the context of this uh, uh, horrible uh, uh, attack on women uh, with the reversal of Roe v. Wade and actually managed to make Seattle into a sanctuary city. So first of all, there's an amazing victory and I think everyone who's watching it uh, here can agree that it's it's incredible. And I, I wanted to ask you, Shama, if you can tell us uh, about kind of what was what was actually won and how it was won. Yeah, as you said, uh, Yara, the you know Ruth and the Irish Socialist Party, which is a sister organization of Socialist Alternative in the United States, used her position in the Irish Parliament to not only agitate um, around the question of abortion rights, but also concretely use it using these kinds of demands that Ruth was talking about. Similarly, we have used our office in the same way. And the legislation that you mentioned, the abortion sanctuary city legislation, through that legislation, Seattle police will be prohibited from arresting people based on outstanding warrants related to anti-abortion laws in other states around the country. And the police will also be prevented from otherwise aiding in investigations of those cases. So people with abortion-related warrants, especially the healthcare providers who are often the targets of such arrests, will be able to live in Seattle without being extradited to whichever state is attempting to prosecute them. And as Ruth correctly described, we cannot stop at the reforms that we win. And so what we have won is not enough. And the question of building powerful enough mass movements nationwide to defeat the right, this right-wing attack and to win full and fully funded abortion rights still remains. But this legislation is an extremely important victory. It shows what can be possible. And it, and it would also, you know, such legis legislation could also have even more profound impact if it were to spread widely. Just imagine if hundreds of cities in half the states in the United States passed similar legislation refusing to extradite people for breaking anti-abortion laws in the other half of the states that could have a you know, big impact. Uh, and, and starting later this month, in fact, we are going to be build, building on this victory and launching our annual People's Budget campaign in Seattle. And the flagship demand of this year's campaign is going to be to win full funding for abortion in Seattle for anybody who's here, not just people who have lived here for years. Uh, by increasing the Amazon tax, which is a tax on large corporations, you know, basically billionaires and multimillionaires uh, of corporations like Amazon and Starbucks. This is a tax that we, uh, led by Socialist Alternative and working people and union members in Seattle, we won in 2020 during the historic Black Lives Matter movement. And I should just share the broad support and excitement for our legislation, the abortion sanctuary legislation, is just quite evident in more than for 5,500 people signed our petition in support of the bill. 
And on the day of the vote on the city council, 60 people testified in public comment demanding that city council Democrats vote yes without watering the bill down. Most of the petition signatures were gathered by socialist alternative members during the Pride, you know, LGBTQ Pride events in Seattle at the end of June, where we talked to thousands of working class people, LGBTQ people and other people about the need for a unified mass movement to defeat the right-wing attacks. And we, we've got a lot of support for those ideas of, you know, of, of, of a fighting strategy and tactics. Uh, and we tabled almost daily in the lead up to the victory on the legislation. And I just wanted to share, you know, on the online version of our petition, hundreds of people left comments with personal stories. And I just wanted to quote one union healthcare worker who signed the petition and she wrote, quote, our country is facing a crisis and we need to act now. If we don't increase funds and resources for abortions, we won't be prepared when overflow patients fleeing from Idaho and other red states come flooding in. Abortion clinics in Eastern Washington are already at capacity and things are only going to get worse. We need to prepare to meet this crisis immediately by raising the Amazon tax, end quote. So this shows that working people are not only ready to fight right now, they understand that, you know, that's what whatever we win today will take a fight and, and it won't be enough. We need to go even farther. And so that I wanted to read that because it con contrasts so deeply with the, uh, the approach of the Democratic Party, you know, the city council is me, one socialist and eight Democrats. And these Democrats, of course, they expressed words of outrage over the Supreme Court ruling. But at the same time, they were attempting to undermine our legislation in the back rooms, uh, refusing to publicly reveal their intentions. And what they did was attempt to greatly weaken the clause that right now that we won, that mandates Seattle police not arrest people with the out-of-state warrants. And the only reason the Democrats backed off from their attempt to water it down was the spotlight put on them by the hundreds of people who have spoken up, uh, who signed the petition and <coughs> who wrote to the Democrats saying, you know, you should not water this down. It again, proves the effectiveness of a working class mobilization, just like we heard about the example in Ireland and the protest that uh, we were just part of in Germany. And uh, we, you know, Socialist Alternative has always warned working people that even when we force the Democrats to stand with us, you know, that's because of working class momentum. And we cannot afford to draw the wrong conclusions that they're suddenly genuinely progressive. No, it's in fact, these are all these are all progressive, supposedly progressive Democrats in name, but the two-facedness of their approach could hardly be evidenced more clearly than what happened in, in the back rooms, you know, over this. Uh, legislation and at the same during the same period they also voted to end the meager four dollar an hour pandemic hazard pay that our grocery workers had won in, in the city so all of this shows that we need to keep fighting to win further reforms we have we're going to have to fight to defend the reforms that we have won and ultimately none of that will be enough by itself we have to tie the fight for reforms internationally by um, also raising the question of working class independence from the parties of big business and also to the question of capitalism itself. Thanks so much, Shama. That's super exciting. I mean, the, the, the name Sanctuary City is used a lot when it's talking about 
abortion rights, when it's talking about, you know, the deportation of immigrants. But to actually be a sanctuary city is not just to you know, not get arrested or not get deported, um, but actually provide the services that are needed, the, you know, uh, that people are, um, uh, you know, running to get um, through taxing the rich, taxing Amazon. Uh, I really like that. That That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, now, you know, we'll kind of wrap up here with the, the three of you. This has been an excellent episode. Um, but we've, you know, used the term socialist feminism a lot here, especially when we're talking about Rosa International, uh, which people should totally check out um, to see if there's a section of Ro Rosa International where you live. Um, but yeah, talking about why we need socialist feminism, you know, uh, right now. So, Anne, I wanted to start with you. Um, you know, you talked about the demonstration that you went to in Berlin and, you know, fighting back against these right wing attacks. So what what in what in your opinion is the reason that we need socialist feminism more now than ever? Well, I think it's very important also to answer the uh, cost of living crisis and the uh, right wingers are giving very, you know, partial answers to this and they they give answers in a way of saying, um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's the fault of uh, whoever or, um, you know, uh, you know, it's the fault of the immigrants, it's the fault of the whatever women or something or, or the queers or they're really crazy um, ideas of, uh, you know, the, the population change and women don't want to procreate enough and so on. And so um, this kind of split is so, so really toxic and dangerous to unite the working class and socialist feminism is exactly doing Doing the opposite it's exactly what uh, Yara said we are discussing the the choice on each level you know we want to have a choice um, and how to live and how to have ch children when to have children and so on and uh, also I mean one of the ma major reasons in Munich why uh, people seek to have an abortion is they don't have housing you know so you know when when doctors were asking you know why are you you know why are you coming and they said well I can't afford you know, to rent another place. There is no other place, you know. So how, how you know, this is not a choice, you know. It's not a choice of having or not having. And and I think the, the cost of living crisis is, uh, you know, the, the right wing, they also go on the street now for that, you know. They say it's the, you know, because of the, the war and so on and of course there are, there are aspects of that but it's not the fault of the you know ordinary people working class people from russia or ukraine or whatever or it's also not the fault of women um that that this is happening you know but we know that the violence will also increase um we have seen this with the economic crisis in 2008 uh, um, and 2009 that when economic uh, crises are rising, we see this also that this is, uh, you know, hitting uh, or pushing down on in, in family and patriarchal family structures as well. Uh, so we know that we need a feminist um, and socialist response to unite the working class on all levels, you know, and uh, and and fight these these splits and attempted oppressions that uh, the the right wing is doing because the right wing is is an ally to the ruling class at the end of the day, you know, it's an ally um, to to capitalism and to a stronger and more authoritarian version of capitalism and more undemocratic version of capitalism and feminism is a democratic answer as democratic as it can be. I think that's a really good point about the right and kind of how it's empowered and emboldened uh, as well in the recent time. But also, like we talked about throughout this episode, how even though the right is emboldened, the fight back is emboldened as well. So like using socialist feminism as kind of a tool to uh, kind of we can defeat the far right on every element and not just 
uh, on women and queer rights, but also in that is super important. And I was wondering from what you said, like I wanted to ask Shama if you can explain what we mean by socialist feminism, like what is different and why is it so necessary to have the socialist part in socialist feminism? Yeah, to explain what socialist feminism is, I, I think we should uh, also, you know, just start with what kind of feminism has been on offer so far for the most part for the millions and indeed tens of millions of women and LGBTQ people and young people as a whole of all genders who are looking for a way to change society. The Dobbs decision in the US, in the attacks on abortion rights that have happened worldwide, all of this represents a massive failure of what I would call liberal feminism, which is the brand of feminism defined by uh, sort of you know, diversifying the ruling class uh, in a superficial manner. And these are the ideas that have led to the debacle that we're in, uh, you know, which I was talking about earlier, the failure of the mass or women's rights organization to put up any kind of fight back because of how tied they are to the interests of the ruling class. These ideas can also be described and have been described by others as you know, so-called girl boss feminism. Uh, and it's the, the term girl bras feminism, you know, sort of really exemplifies how this kind of feminism, liberal feminism, can never bring about true equality for women. Um, and uh, the what it does is guarantees the rights of some women to oppress others. And for the most part, the vast majority of humanity gains little to nothing. And at the same time, what we are seeing, and from everything that uh, everybody has said right now, the stage looks to be set for a new feminist movement to come onto the scene. The question is, what kind of women, uh, what kind of movement we need, sorry. Uh, and, and why is the stage set? Because it's, it shows, we we're seeing that the youth of today are ready to fight back against gender-based violence. There's been a wave of high school and student protests, for example, uh, throughout the world. Uh, but it will take bigger victories. Uh, and, and we saw recently in the state of Kansas in the United States, for example, where after the Dobbs ruling debacle, there was a landslide victory with record voter turnout of ordinary people rejecting a ballot measure in big numbers, rejecting a ballot measure that, have, that would have removed abortion rights from the state constitution. So all of this shows that there is an openness for a real movement for feminism, but what should that look like? For, for one, we need to not only reverse the right-wing attack on abortion rights, but we need to go farther and win a broader program of demands. And you know, what are those demands? You know, as as uh, uh, that that's something we need to talk about. And also, as all the speakers were indicating, the forces of the right are international. So we also need a movement of you know an international movement of working-class women, LGBTQ, and working people of all genders to come together. We need rank and file union members to help lead the movement. And, uh, and I think this is the most paramount point that we need to draw, which is that we this movement has to be tied to rejecting the system of capitalism itself, this global system that has shown that it is not only incapable of protecting the rights that working people ourselves have won through our own fight back, but that it is carrying out continual and further attacks on working people. Women's exploitation continues under capitalism, not to mention the climate crisis, inflation, recession. Uh, and so what we need is a socialist society globally where the wealth and resources of the world are democratically controlled by working people so that they can be harnessed for the good of humanity as a whole, for the rights of working people 
internationally. So to come anywhere close to attaining any of this, we need the right kind of movement, strategy and tactics. And that is what we would call a socialist feminist movement, a movement that fights for a program of demands as I was saying earlier, that is focused on the needs of the working class. So for example, here we're talking about the needs of working class women and pregnant people and the LGBTQ community. That should mean free abortion as a part of, you know, in the United States context, a part of a Medicare for all type system that also provides gender affirming healthcare, as well as paid parental leave, affordable or free childcare, affordable housing, you know, by expanding social democratically owned, publicly owned social housing programs. And it also means, as Anne said, a real fight back against the cost of living crisis, and also, you know, helping working people push back against the the, the burden of the coming recession being placed on their shoulders. And in contrast to the failed liberal feminist strategy of backing corporate Democrats in the United States, a socialist feminist movement would take up working class methods of struggle, street protests, walkouts, direct action and strikes, as well as an electoral strategy that is independent of the Democratic Party establishment, which means working class people building their own political organization. And last but not least, as I said before, unlike liberal feminism, which has no real objection to capitalist exploitation and oppression, in fact, unfortunately, goes part and parcel of it, um, it is really what, what's really needed is uh, the transformative vision of a socialist society that is democratically run by working people that is integral to any idea of socialist feminism, because it is only on this basis that sexism and other forms of oppression will become relics of the past. And I just wanted to urge in closing that if people who are listening to this, if you are in the United States, definitely contact Socialist Alternative if you, uh, if the ideas discussed in this show have been appealing to you. Yeah, I think it's so kind of interesting to me to see kind of how the feminist movement has progressed because what you're talking about, like kind of girl boss feminism, like uh, breaking the glass ceiling, all of these ideas were really prevalent and kind of like the biggest things that people were talking about when I entered the feminist movement uh, uh, years ago. But now it seems like that is no longer, and, and rightly so, no longer what people care about. People can see and are acutely aware that all kinds of oppression and all kinds of ex exploitation that we experience in our everyday life are connected and they're all connected to the system that's systemic. They're not just, you know, randomly happening. Um, so I think that, you know, a lot of people are drawing these conclusions, like you said, and it's so important uh, that it stay, it goes beyond just seeing the issue, but also presenting with a real solution, like you said, which can only be socialism and can only be socialist feminism. So to finish off, I wanted to ask you, Ruth, kind of, so if people uh, watch it and had all of the, uh, the questions answered uh, by this episode and by the ideas of socialist feminism, how can you actually be a socialist feminist? What, what, what do you need to do and how can we actually fight these very practical uh, and tangible uh, things like uh, abortion and reproductive rights? Well, the, the best people that win in reforms are revolutionaries. I mean, that's always been the case. Um, like, you look back at James Connolly here in Ireland, who set up the trade union movement, um, Jim Larkin as well. Um, and actually, I have to get a plug in for our, we're having a march to mark the 10th anniversary of the death of Savita, but to push forward on the other issues of separation of church and state um, and so on. 
capitalism as a system, it has inequality in its DNA. I mean, it's built on justifying inequality. And, you know, something like 22 men control the same wealth as 3.5 billion people, according to Oxfam, a Christian charity. So how can a system like that deliver equality? Um, we're actually going through the third systemic crisis in about 14 years. We had in 2008, the financial crash, the bank bailouts. We had then, you know, the COVID pandemic. And now we have the cost of living crisis, which is going to, there'll be a, there is a class war uh, around that. Who's going to pay for that crisis? Is it going to be working class people or is it going to be the wealthy in society? And, you know, so I would appeal to anybody, if you're looking at that as a system, become a socialist, become a socialist feminist. And it isn't just the economic issues either. It's the issues of oppression, because as a system, capitalism needs rigid gender roles. It pushes rigid gender roles. I mean, look at the way now, for example, it can't even concede on the basic rights for transgender people. You know, it's just like a bridge too far for the system. It pushes sexism, racism, misogyny, uh, and division. Um, we, we saw also during the COVID pandemic, uh, a pandemic of gender-based violence. You know, what a system that that's what, what, what it offers uh, women, um, LGBT plus people. Um, and I, I think it rests on obviously things like unequal pay, which are, um, which rests also on discrimination on the basis of, of race and on the basis of sex, but also it relies on the unpaid work that women do in society. That's why it pushes rigid gender roles, um, and which we all know is, is, is enormous and it increased enormously uh, during the pandemic in particular. So I think that if, if, if anybody who's listening wants to fight, you know, to change the system, um, I don't think that there's many young people that have much faith in this corporate feminism that, that you mentioned, Yara, anymore. I mean, definitely that's what I find. But there isn't clarity about the type of feminism that is needed. And um, I think that we need a debate and we need to inject socialist feminism into that debate and win the best young people, the best women and LGBT plus people to socialist banner. The struggle for abortion rights is more important than ever. Everywhere right-wing capitalist governments are attacking women's rights. China is no exception. The so-called communist dictatorship defends a brutal capitalist and a patriarchal system. One in five women in the world live in China. The dictatorship controls women's bodies, controls their uterus, in ways that are hard to imagine in other countries. For more than 40 years, the dictatorship has controlled how many children a woman can have. It used to be a strict one-child limit, but in 2016, it was increased to two children and now three children. This control has been enforced brutally in many cases. Forced abortions and even sterilization is part of this control over women's bodies. For oppressed minority women like Uyghurs, this is happening now. In China, a single woman is not allowed to have a child unless she is married to a man. 
the child will be illegal and refuse the legal documents. This means the child can't go to school, get medical attention, or get a job. Today, China faces a population crisis. Next year, the UN says India will take over China as the world's most populous nation. The birth rate in China has collapsed because people can't afford to have children. The economic crisis today means the birth rate will fall even more. Chinese people face severe wage cuts and mass unemployment. Women are discriminated at work if they become pregnant. Patriarchal and sexist attitudes are endemic in China. These ideas are reinforced by the dictatorship as a tool of social control of men controlling women. Women are expected to look after children, but also elderly relatives. Most child care in China is privatized and very expensive. Now the government is changing its controls on women's reproductivity. Instead of banning children, it wants women to have more babies. Last year, the government announced new restrictions on the right to abortion. It says that medically unnecessary abortions will be limited. Access to contraception is also under, under attack in China. In some cities, volunteer organizations that conduct sex education for young people and distribute contraceptive have been evicted. Previously, abortion was widely available in China. For the dictatorship, this was not about reproductive rights. It was a tool. It was a tool of state policy, the one-child policy, to control women's bodies. During these forty years, more female uteruses were aborted than male. Now there are thirty-five million more men than women in China. This has made also the population crisis more acute. Now the dictatorship is reducing access to abortion as a further measure of state control over reproductive rights. Women in China are being radicalized and are fighting back against this oppression. The dictatorship is afraid of the growth of feminist ideas. With socialist feminists linked the struggle for women's equality to the struggle against capitalism and the dictatorship, these struggles cannot win unless they are linked. A united struggle for socialism and sexual liberation will be unstoppable. Thank you so much. This has been such a great episode.、Uh, you know, three guests from around the world talking about,、um, uh, you know, fighting for socialist feminism, fighting for reproductive justice.、Uh, this has been a really good one. So thank you so much for joining us today, and we hope to see you again soon.、Um, but don't log off yet, because of course we have the shout out of the week. Yes, so the shout out of the week this week is actually about the election in Sweden, which I'm sure everyone's heard about.、Uh, it was a really tough、uh, kind of、uh, election because of the like、uh, like we talked about now about how the far right is emboldened, and in Sweden, I think it's、uh, even clearer 
um, uh, the way that it's done. And the, the far right actually gained quite a lot uh, in this election using this kind of populist rhetoric that we're used to from the far right. But actually, members of the International Socialist Alternative in Sweden ran for this election uh, and managed to protect their seats in Lulo. And even though uh, we didn't manage to do that in Stockholm, it was still a really incredible campaign in under really difficult uh, uh, circumstances uh, with the far right. Uh, so it's a really important victory for us uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in Lulo and in Sweden generally. And also, I think there was great to kind of put forward our ideas uh, in both places and around the country as well and kind of show that when the correct ideas are being put forward uh, people are going to agree with them even under the immense pressures uh, from the far right so this has been our shout of the week today and uh, obviously a really important episode for international uh, for the international day for safe abortion so hopefully uh, you've learned uh, from it like I did. I thought this was brilliant to hear from so many people with such great experience uh, on abortion struggle generally. Um, and we'll see you soon. This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!